Calling all benders and non-benders alike. Jump into the epic world of Avatar with your favorite podcast, Avatar, Braving the Elements. Hosted by me, Janet Varney. And me, Dante Bosco. Each week we'll recap and discuss a new episode. So come join us and our amazing guests from creators to cast to superfans to chat about all things Avatarverse. It's Fire Nation time. Book of Fire. Let's go. Listen to Avatar Braving the Elements wherever you get your podcasts. A graphic novel, a TV show, well it's not TV, it's HBO, and will this thing succeed, and by how much, man? And some might cheer, and some might scoff, because it's Damon Lindelof, but either way we're off to watch some Watchmen. Watching Watchmen Talking Watchmen Analyzing Watchmen And maybe arguing over Watchmen Welcome to Watchmen Watch, a podcast about Watchmen And you watch it! You watch it! All of you, you watch it! I'm Alex. I'm Justin. I'm Pete. What and f- we are going to be talking about the 10th issue of Watchmen. Two writers were approaching by Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons as we get very close here to the premiere of Watchmen on HBO. But first, a little bit of news. Justin, what's happening? Yeah, Alan Moore, our fourth host, who, right. like, it's hard to remember, but he's been here for most of the episodes, I think. I, I think so. At it's least nine of them. Nine. And this is the 10th one. So I, it's, it's just, you know, he leaves a hole when he's not here. Right. Uh, and, but, it's, you know, when you work with people, you want to be on time. And sometimes they're not. But you still love them. You still love those <laughs> people the who are not the fuck. <laughs> uh, what the but fuck? so anyway, let me get back to this. That was weird. A mirror just appeared in front of <laughs> Justin for no oh, reason. That's, oh my god! Very strange. We're not holding a mirror what? up to ourselves. What are we doing? And that's what Alan Moore is doing. Is he? Um, it's he's a big autumn guy. Mm-hmm. So he went upstate for some leaf peeping, um, tasting some cider. He has an affinity scarf and tweed jacket on. Uh, that's he's, just. He's lost in a corn maze. Right. So cozy. Oh, he's lost. <laughs> you, whoa, you buried the lead there. Oh, he's uh, lost. I think he was when he was texting with me, which he does a lot. Sure. Um, he was like, oh, I'm walking into a corn maze. And he's like, this is a fun corn maze. And he's like, dear God, help me. I'm trapped in this corn maze. Help, help, help. And why, he's panicked. Why uh, doesn't he just throw a bottom, bottle of perfume in the air? You know, that way we'll be able to see it. Does he, I, I'm sure he's doing that, but that's right. not the clearest signal of what's right. happening with you. If yeah, you, we're also, we're in the middle of the city. If he's upstate, it's going to be a little rough to see a perfume bottle yeah. he's throwing over a corn but maze. But keep your eyes up in the air. If you see a perfume bottle, you are close to Mr. Alan Moore. Yes. Let's talk about this comic book. What do you guys think about that? You want to do it? Let's. We are getting down to it here. Lots of stuff going on. While Lori and Dr. Manhattan are up on Mars debating the fate of the human race, debating the fate of Earth, down on Earth, Dan Dryberg, a.k.a. Night Owl, and Rorschach have been left behind And they are trying to figure out what exactly has been going on. Is there a conspiracy? Is somebody trying to kill off masks or not? Night Owl is still a little suspicious, but pretty on board with Rorschach's theory. And at the same time, the world is very quickly heading towards disaster, uh, thanks to Russia and the United States escalating tensions over Afghanistan. Now, of course... 
the theme is right there in the title, and it's hit multiple times very hard throughout the issue. Uh, two writers are approaching. I believe this is from uh, Bob Dylan's song. Uh, there's a Bob Dylan quote at the end. I yeah. think the two riders thing has been in a bunch of things over the yeah, years. Yeah, but I think, I think the two riders, uh, oh my gosh, I'm playing it. Two riders we're approaching is from whatever that Bob Dylan song is. We're very knowledgeable about songs. We'll get it for you in a second. Um, but you have, and Rorschach says it later in the issue, but war and depth are the two writers that we have right now. Yeah. And those are the ones that are hit over and over, starting from the very beginning when we have the approach of the president and vice president on their planes, Air Force One and Air Force Two, heading to a bunker to stay safe. We got a flash again of uh, the comedian's button on the radar screen with the splash being the radar Ray, or whatever you call it. Yeah, the little wand. Yeah, the little wand. We're knowledgeable. Yes, already I'm glad you're tuning into this podcast for our expert commentary on things in life. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, we hit the two writers thing over and over and over again. Um, What did you think about this theme? What did you take away from it? Why is it important to have it this issue right now? Uh, Right out of the gate? I mean, this is the issue where sort of all of the darkness is gathering. Uh, This is like the the sad part. I think there's a lot of Bob Dylan stuff in here. Um, Two hours we're approaching. That's from All Along the Watchtower. And then um, it's in I've Been Waiting in the Dark Too Long is a theme here, I think. And that's also from uh, You're Going to Make Me Lonesome When You Go, Uh, another Bob Dylan song. So I think there's that sort of looking at the world and seeing it for what it is rather than what it's like finally facing the darkness around you and within you. It's interesting to me pacing wise that this doesn't come right after issue eight. We talked about issue eight was the overture in a certain way. We was checking in with everybody. We were setting the stage for the final act of the book. And then we went into this conversation with Laurie and Dr. Manhattan, which obviously is vitally important but almost pacing-wise feels like a pause because it's so focused on them and so focused on the past versus here, this does feel like it's picking right up on everything that was set up two issues prior. Yeah, I mean, this definitely... But this is like the this is the low point. This is like right into the act three, the final fight, the final set yeah. piece. Yeah, so I feel like I hear you, but it does make sense here. And we need that issue... Uh, with Dr. Manhattan and Laurie on, the, on Mars because that sort of lays out some of the higher themes while this gets into the plot. Sure. Yeah, this is a lot of just moving people into the right position so we can kind of have our final showdown. But it's also, I mean, it's not just table setting. It's not just moving around chess pieces. It's also hitting that theme of doom, of apocalypse, that plays throughout here. Yeah, this whole first section with Nixon and uh, DEFCON 2 and, like, basically prepping for the end of the world is so scary. Uh, The parallels to today are intense. Uh, But at the same time, it's funny. Like, the way that they play off the president and vice president, I believe Gerald Ford trips down the stairs like in an SNL sketch. Yeah. Uh, noted, is, noted clumsy yes, man. Yes, which is ludicrous. The nuclear football is actually shaped like a football yeah. as well, which to me, I almost took that as, A, it's a joke, but it also feels like a very Nixon thing to do. Yeah. That if he was president for so long, he'd be like, make it into a football. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Wow. Thanks. Um, I do think, I mean, it has a Doctor Strange love vibe that I feel like is intentional mm-hmm. for these first three pages. Um, so, but it still has that dark side to it that the whole, like, it's scary. 
Yeah. All the reds we see in this, the, the art is so great. Yeah, throughout, again, John Higgins is using that red pretty liberally to push forward when there is actual danger on things. Uh, and then from there, do you want to keep walking us through this? Yeah, so then we go into um, Night Owl and Rorschach, who are sort of the main characters we're with for this issue. And man, the art in this issue, like... It's just so good. It has this great... No one draws like Dave Gibbons, I feel like, anymore, or these like sort of Art Deco-style, really clean lines. It reminds me of uh, Mr. X from back in the day and mm-hmm. a comic called Terminal City, which I really liked from Image years ago. Um, really great. Yeah, but I mean, what's just crazy now is you got this kind of picture of them uh, docking their ship, you know, and then you got the Twin Towers in the background. And you're like, oh, God, now yeah. it's more painful. But uh, I just think that, like... You're seeing Rorschach here, who before was very much freaked out by the fact that his, he's without his mask, without his skin, just kind of uh, uh, you know talking, and they're trying to piece together uh, what's going on and how it's going to work. So it's kind of interesting to see him, like they're going to get it, they're going to go kind of you know get his face back on, but it's uh, it's it's very interesting because he's most of the comic he is masked. But here we just kind of have him walking and uh, talking here. Well, I think part of that is he is very slowly, not necessarily against his will, but I don't think he knows this is happening. He is getting his humanity back over the course of this issue as he continues to work with Night Owl. And as a consequence, particularly later on when they end up in the bar, they're interrogating criminals as they're trying to figure out who the mastermind is behind this plan. Night Owl finds out that Hollis Mason was killed, and he does a very Rorschach move while Rorschach is just interrogating a guy. Night Owl nearly chokes the bad to death. Yeah. So they're, they're feeding off of each other in this issue. They are these two horses of war and death themselves, they are bringing this apocalypse with them. Uh, And that happens right there in that scene that you talked about, Pete, where they're walking off of the ship. The way that I take that is they have brought their own doom to themselves. We've talked about this quite a bit on the podcast, but this world might have been okay if there were never masked vigilantes. It's certainly worse off for them. So to have Rorschach and Night Owl walk off and... As we find out later, they are very much playing their part in Atrian Veidt's plan right now, whether they know it or not. He is laying out all of these breadcrumbs for them. Yeah. They are hastening this doom that is coming to the world instead of running to stop it. Yeah, but then they are powerless to do anything else, though. They have to follow these clues because of what they are. They are these mass crime fighters. There's a great scene here where Rorschach confronts the woman next door who uh, called him like a pervert, I believe, into the newspaper. And he sees himself in one of her kids, like to to your point about him becoming a, getting his humanity back. It's such a nice moment where you can actually see him for who he is. Do you think this is very much jumping ahead, but do you think this issue and Rorschach regressing, I mean, maybe progressing towards humanity, is that why he eventually makes the decision that he does at the end of the book? And I'm dancing around it. I assume everybody has read the book, but just in case, yeah, when we get there, um, I do think part of that is brought about by the fact that he does feel human and he can feel things again. Yeah, and I think it, it points to like what we talked a lot about a lot with like isolation and a lot of 
uh, people that f- are on the fringes of society, like Rorschach, loses his place when the superheroes aren't allowed to uh, function as themselves anymore. He goes rogue. He's by himself all the time, and he starts to become hardened. And this, he's back with his partner, and he's like back in his action, and he feels like he has a place. And so he's more a better human. And I think that's a very big theme in our current world now that I really resonates. People are becoming so isolated and getting more extreme in their views when what we really need is reaching out and more humanity. So I'll throw something else out at you. This is just something that I'm kind of working through as we're talking about it. But uh, part of, as we mentioned, the mission of the book that they go on is Rorschach needs his face back. He needs his costume back. Uh, And he has a spare hidden. He goes to pick up the spare. That spare is most likely the costume that he last used the night he essentially became Rorschach. Like, if you right. look at the stain on it, it's the oh, same yeah, stain yeah. that he got that night, which is that we were talking about this, and I completely forgot when we were talking about this, but that's the same stain he gets in the prison when he's escaping that's on yeah. his body. Uh, and so one could potentially argue that him putting that costume back on brings him back to that night, and then he has a choice to make. He could either become that Rorschach that left that night that was fully 100% Rorschach, or he can be the Rorschach before that was kind of a fucked up creepy guy, but not the same level he was after. Yeah, yeah, and I think he definitely chooses the more human version to right. the point where we're talking about. He can't help it. He's around other people, and that changes you, changes right. your choices. Yeah. Uh, moving forward, we get into um, Adrian Veidt's uh, Antarctic home. And, like, obviously, we've read this before. We know he's a villain, but this is some straight-up villain <laughs> shit. Yes. Yeah. It's like a crazy villain lair from yes. the jump. He's yeah. like an ice-cold dude the whole time. He's, like, changing his clothes in front of his, like, series of butlers. Um, I thought this was really cool. Um, he, they're like, oh, what do you want to do? And he's like, uh, monitors, uh, change channels every 100 seconds. Um and that's literally how we watch TV now. Yeah. It's like we watch multiple screens. We're always, cha- everything's changing very quickly. Attention spans are lower. Uh, it's, it, it, and he then is like, he's like, okay, I'll start recording. He's like making a podcast of his views. <laughs> so like this, it feels so prescient that, that he's doing what we do now as people. And it also shows that watching this much, taking this much information smooths out your emotions. It doesn't let you react to things. So, and that's why we're also sort of cold like Vite is about everything we're taking and we don't have time to think about it. So you're saying us, the three of us here on this podcast, we're basically Ozymandias. Exactly. Excellent. And right. our plan is, is cool, too. It involves a squid. <laughs> Not true. We're going to share a nicer squid. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, but I mean... We'll play the calamon. <laughs> <laughs> but I tell you, you know, what's great is like the... You know, this is like villain stuff before the villain stuff was really like famous. I mean, you've got the... Wait, the what sh- are you saying? Like the shot of him in front of his TV's like, in his big throne, stroking his evil cat. Like, that becomes a trope later. Like, that becomes You're such thinking a, of Inspector Gadget, right? Yes, but also... No, James Bond of, is where that came from. Dr. Evil, it goes on and on. But, yeah. like, this really set the precedent of, like, this, like, evil overlord and a cat. And no, like, petting a cat has always been evil. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think so. You ever pet a cat? Ugh. No thanks. Fed a dog. Yeah, That's exactly. Good. That purring is like growling from their stomachs. Yeah. Wow. Uh, you don't have a cat, do you? No. Yeah. yeah. I like cats, so I had cats, but I'm evil. I'm <laughs> allergic to cats. 
Are we just offering up stuff about our... Hey, time for cat facts. <laughs> hey, everybody, shout out a cat fact. Uh, Pete, your turn. Uh, mine was I had one. Alex is he's allergic. Two fun facts. Two fun cat facts. Yeah, I, I like cats. Cats are cool. I mean, I prefer dogs, but, you know, no big deal. Okay, well, let's, stick, let's try to stick with cat facts, though. Give them a fact. <laughs> they, you see their buttholes too much. That's another cat fact. Alex, your turn. Cat fact. Uh, they eat cat food. That's okay. Very basic fact. Uh, <laughs> expected fact there. Pete, another cat fact. Uh, maintaining a litter box is too high maintenance. Great. That's more of an opinion. Great. That's enough for cat facts. Meow. <laughs> 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 I did want to mention about the villain thing, the villain reveal in this issue, because though it's not 100% confirmed, we do get by the end of the issue, Night Owl and Rorschach figure out, oh shit, Veidt's been behind this thing the entire time, and they go to confront him to actually get the villain monologue, which we're going to get very shortly, I believe, in Abbott's next issue. Uh, and what I like about this is what I liked about the last issue which is even if at the beginning of the last issue you started to suspect and think, oh, wait, I think Eddie Blake is Laurie's dad. It's not dragged out. By no. the end of the issue, you find out. And yeah. same thing with this issue. I love that. When they lay out this clear villain scenario with Adrian Veidt for the first time where he's like, yes, I'm evil. Hello. <laughs> you, you think you're ahead of the book, but you're not. Because five pages later, it's like, yo, Adrian Veidt is the bad guy. Yeah. So they don't give you enough time to get that smug sense of self-satisfaction. It's such a better form of storytelling. I feel like, again, not to harp on our modern world too much, but like so much of our entertainment now is like... Now, end of episode, clue. Now, think about who you think the villain is. And then we think about it. We're like, oh, we know. And then it's like, and then it gets proven true. So you feel ahead of it. This, you're not allowed to feel ahead of it because it's, you can't, you don't have time to think because you're taking in the rest of the issue. Yeah, exactly. So smartly done. Um, there's this great moment where he says uh, Rorschach and Night Owl are talking and they've been in the dark too long. I thought that was interesting from their two different points of view because Dan's been in the dark because he hasn't been doing any superheroics. So he's been isolated on his own and is now bad at it or he, he's a little rusty. Rorschach has been in the bleakness of his worldview because he's been isolated. And now they're just being together. They are coming toward the light. But on the other hand, owls operate in the dark. Not to look into it too much, but Ooh. that would be a good thing for Dan, right? Being in the dark? Being yeah, in the but dark. he is human. It's like Rorschach. <laughs> whoa, whoa, big reveal, <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Hold on, You hold don't on. know what he's like underneath this that costume. This isn't time for human facts. Oh, my That's bad, later my in bad. the show. I mean, he eats mice, just like a cat. <laughs> <laughs> he could turn his head 360 degrees. He seems a lot like an owl. Yeah. There was that one panel where he hocked up a pellet. Whack, <laughs> 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 and then a little pellet came out. It was just little bones. <laughs> Who's bones? Who's we'll bones, find we out know. next issue. Was it a mouse or a very tiny man? <laughs> uh, we'll never know. That's just one of the fun things about rereading this comic. Yeah, you never know. Watchmen <laughs> leaves so many things dangling. Um, Al Moore was like, ah, fuck it. We'll get to it in the next series. There's this... Yeah, I'll, I'll follow this up uh, rather than take my name off it. Sorry, Alan. Uh, Alan definitely listens to this podcast, though. Yes, he does. Well, he's got to get caught up for the next episode. Exactly. We're actually broadcasting this directly into the middle of a corn maze. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's this sweet moment between uh, Night Owl and Rorschach that is, like, awkward. And also, so much of this issue is, like, sort of in dark shadow. And then in these couple panels, it's, like, super bright. And Night Owl looks goofy. You see his, like, 
underwear, yeah, the underwear-y parts of his costume, and they're like stuck in a handshake by themselves. Um, but it's still sweet. It's them being like, we are happier when we're together doing this. Yeah. Uh, I thought that was just... Well, and it's very different from Night Owl's relationship with Silk Spectre, which obviously is sexual. Very different. <laughs> very different. But also the way that they work together. You know, yeah. just Rorschach and Night Owl, they have this partnership. <laughs> what? <laughs> idea that Rorschach and Night Owl are also fight crime. They're like, <sighs> and then they make out for a while. Just a funny side, side thing. Man. That definitely seems like Rorschach in particular. They're like, you know how Night Owl fucks everybody he <laughs> partners with? <laughs> Everyone's like, what? I mean, I, I guess that's true. He just, huh, I never thought of that. Well, the, the key part with Night Owl is you just don't let the beat happen after the fight. You yeah, just got to exactly. walk away right after hey, the uh, fight. Anyway, great fighting with you, Night Owl. Yeah, I got to do it. Oh, man. Oh, blue balls. <laughs> uh, that's why Archie is shaped that way. Yeah. He's, <laughs> he's like a big old scrotum. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, that's what? true. Uh, speaking of which, we see this great panel of Archie bursting out of the water with the water dragging under him. They so cool. are uh, emerging from it. Uh, and then I'm waiting for you to scroll down yeah, so I can watch. Then I'll we get to Black Freighter stuff. Let's talk about the Black Freighter stuff. This is... Another two riders approaching scenario is set up here. Uh, we also get a big reveal of the, the suspicion I think we've harbored for a long time with this Black Freighter thing. The whole plot line has been that this pirate was stranded by the evil Black Freighter. He is worried they're going to attack his hometown. He's desperately trying to get back there. He's fought sharks. He's eaten seagulls. He's lashed dead bodies together to make a raft. And this issue, he finally makes his way back and thinks, oh, God, I'm too late. The pirates are clearly already here. Everything has been destroyed. My wife has been enslaved or worse. Same thing with my children. Now, here are these two people out having a lovely time. Oh, they must be collaborators with the pirates. And he kills them. Yeah. He kills both of them, dresses up as one of them, takes the other body, attaches it to a horse and rides back into town. He sees what he thinks is a sentry later on. And he's like, well, I'll just skip past this pirate sentry. But of course, it's a scarecrow. All of this is so very blatantly metaphoring exactly what is going on in the quote-unquote real world of yeah. Watchmen, where we talked a couple of issues back of the big Rorschach issue, how Rorschach was closest to the pirate uh, the or survivor or whatever he is in the Black Freighter story. And here, that's pretty clear. This guy is creating a conspiracy theory. He's following it through. He's lashing out. All evidence that he sees backs up his theory the way that he wants to see it. Yeah, again, on the theme of isolation, it's like, once you, if you get, you go sort of mad if you're isolated for too long, and that's what happens to him, it's what happens to the Rorschach, it's what happens to the warring Russia and America, they're not talking to each other, so they're raising, they're, they're fearful of each other, and uh, Dr. Manhattan got cold when he grew cold when he was up on Mars. Like, reaching out to people is what fixes things, and because the Black Freighter guy can't do that, he starts murdering people. <laughs> right. And just like how we talked about earlier, the same way that Night Owl and Rorschach are bringing the doom, even though they don't realize it, same thing with this pirate guy, where he is the doom that is coming to this town. The pirates are not there. He is the thing that is bringing horror and disease and death, everything along with him. Right. But in his, you know, I mean, I can't believe you survived that raft. 
You know, I mean, and that's going to really shake you up. You survive a raft. You can legally do anything you want. Well, that's the thing. I mean, you get away with a couple. You get away with a couple murders after you survive a raft ride like that. Yeah. Well, it's the same thing. Like uh, a bone raft is basically your own personal Vegas. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. What happens in bone raft stays in bone raft. Um, I mean, the best flotation device is a dead body. As we know, like most life jackets are actually made out of uh, pieces of corpse. Yeah, I learned that in camp. Yeah, we went to a <laughs> fucked up camp. I did. I went to Camp Crystal Lake. I want to say good. Oh, oh, that's that's right. Right. Yeah. Is that nice. a good reference? Yes, that's yeah. a great reference. Is that a good reference, Daddy? <laughs> <laughs> yes, son. That's a you're you're a good oh, boy. You're the you. best boy. You're my best boy because you make good references. I went to a Crystal Light camp. <laughs> yeah, like it was wow. not. It's not uh, as cool. no calories. Yeah, no calories. <laughs> Is that another way All of saying... All the same Great Lake, just less calories. Is that another way of saying fat camp? <laughs> no. Oh. Great. Well, let's talk about this other scene that you just uh, flipped to over here, because we got little hints of this before, and if you didn't know what was going on, as we mentioned on the podcast, very confusing. Uh, but in the background, Vite has been building this whole story, this whole scenario. We don't get to see the breadth of it yet. But he has employed hundreds of people to create something that he is told is a super secret movie. And here they all get on a boat off of this island together, are having a big party. The author of Pirate Comics that we found out was missing several issues back in the back batter mm. uh, is down below deck. Yeah, below try, deck. Below deck. <laughs> trying to make the moves on this woman that he's wanted to make the moves on for a while. When they discover there's, in fact, a bomb and they all die. They yep. all get blown up. Now, there's one moment that I wanted to talk about. Um, it's a very human moment. I couldn't read whether there was more to it or not. But as they're starting to make love, they're down there. She notices the bomb. She's like, oh, something's kind of biting into my back a little bit. She says, don't stop. And he says, uh, he holds her and says, don't worry about it, my love. Hold on to me. Yeah. What's going on there? Is there something more to that? Because it felt like... It felt like it was at the tip of my brain that it was referencing or bumping off of something else, but maybe it's just a moment. I think he's just like, he knows they're going to die, so he's, he's like, trying to be comforting. let's yeah. go out and hug. Yeah. Is it, I mean, it could be, is it in the same position as the Hiroshima lovers? They're certainly leaving the shadow in the background, right? Uh, yeah. It's hard to see the shadow so because it's covered by a word balloon. But yeah, I think it's, uh, I, we've, I just mentioned this a bunch, but like, Isolation versus like reaching out, like they're about to die, so they uh, cling to the person they're with. That's why I wouldn't go on cruise ships for a really long time. Oh yeah, why? Because of that. Well, it's remember when we did that Comic Con on the cruise ship, and that's how we slept. Well, yeah, yeah but, but I we also, got blown up, right? Yeah, but I always would. We would have to every night go down and look for bombs. <laughs> that's true. That was a fun. Otherwise, part. I couldn't sleep. Yeah. yeah. At midnight, every night they start playing. You are saying, "Hey, everybody, Bob check." <laughs> yeah. I went to the casino, and Pete went looking for bombs. <laughs> uh, now uh, we can probably not speed through, but sort of like clip through the rest of the book because uh, we get to see them investigating the mystery. As we mentioned, they interrogate people at various bars, and then ultimately they end up in Vite's office because they're trying to find out where he is to get his help. At which point, Night Owl puts it together. Yeah, uh, there's this, it's just a funny scene. Like, Rorschach is just, like, real blabbermouth all of a sudden. He's like, yeah. blah, 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 talking about well, all the he's Egyptian finally shit. finally around somebody who, you know, he doesn't think is evil or something. So he's really just finding Well, this is what we've up. talked about with Rorschach all along, that he is throwing the darts everywhere and hoping one of yeah. them stick. And Night Owl 
is precise. Like he, yeah, he's he, the detective. They exactly. need each other in every way possible, and this just proves it. Like uh, Night Owl puts it together based on all the vomit that Rorschach is just spewing out in this thing. He grabs the things that make sense and puts it together. He cracks the password. I mean, Adrian Veidt seems so smart. Throw an exclamation point in your password, dude. Right. Well, this was a while ago before he needed that kind of stuff. But also, he knows that they're going to figure it out. Yeah. Right? He's left it there. He's left the clues there. He's left a map. He's left a documentation. He's basically walked them right up to it so that they can come find him, as we find out at the end of the issue, when he's like, everything is happening according to plan. Um, Yeah. But so uh, one other thing, um, so they figure it out and they're like going to go to Antarctica in Archie. They do one last thing. Rorschach drops his journal off in the mail, Mm -hmm. um, which is uh, a fun little thing because we see the dude pick it out. It goes to the new frontiersman and the the kid in the smiley face shirt um, picks it out of the thing and sets it in their crank pile. But I thought it was interesting the smiley face, we were like, what does it mean? Is it just, what reference is it? And I think it's meant to be setting up the final moment of the series where it's the final punchline of the comedian, the joke the comedian set into motion. Um, and this kid is the final punchline in that his journal is found and all the truth will come out. Interesting. So uh, that, that was my take from reading it here. Yeah. Uh, so then uh, they fly off to Antarctica. We get a bit of an action sequence that happens uh, beautifully drawn, very so reminiscent cool. of the Mars sequence as well, because you got the stark whites instead of the stark pinks of Mars. Uh, also, this uh, this sequence really brought me back to the first time I read Watchmen, because when Night Owl puts on his snowsuit, which is the most adorable thing, and yeah. I remember that jumping out to me the first time, too, just how cute. He looks like a cute little snowy owl. It's very cute. On their little air bikes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and then we uh, get confirmation, in case there was any wondering, uh, that Veidt was the villain, because uh, what does he say there at the end? What's the exact thing? Uh, sh- it's all right, girl. Everything's all right. Everything's all right. Yeah. Uh, and then our back matter is all about Ozymandias, all about marketing. Um, I think a large part of this is to show us the precision of Ozymandias, uh, to underline, because we haven't yeah. spent a lot of time with him, that he he may not be the smartest man in the world, but he certainly has business acumen and is very precise with things. And I think it sets up that he, we know that he's a villain when we read the back matter and the back matter is like him figuring out his action figure line, him changing the nostalgia perfume to millennium and then um, a self-help book uh, geared toward healing. And it's him setting up his businesses to operate in the new world order uh, after his plan is carried out. He, it's so interesting. Like he eliminates the, uh, the night owl Rorschach action figures from his toy line. Cause he's like, they're going to be dead. So we don't want to manufacture yeah, those. And we want to have all Vite with random, random villains. What's funny is the action figures also sometimes spoil movies because, like, when action figures come out before the movies and stuff, there's, like, hints to what the action figures do and have on them. That gives yeah. us little hints. So, you know. He didn't want to spoil a plan. Well, yeah. also, though. <laughs> uh, funny. Make the Rorschach murderable. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, man. <laughs> I don't know what you mean by that. Uh, but also, at the same time, something that they've built up in this alternate reality is, like Ozymandias mentions, superheroes aren't that popular. People don't yeah. buy superhero comics because superheroes exist. So you'd have to imagine it's the same thing with the action figure line. So if anything, having Ozymandias versus... 
a bunch of pirates or something like that would probably work a lot better for action uh, figures. True, but I do think the point of it is that sure. he's so ice-cold sociopathic that he is profiting off of the, his choices. Like, changing the perfume from nostalgia, no one wants to look backwards. They're, there's this huge tragedy. They're going to be looking ho- hopeful and forward to Millennium. And the self-help book that geared toward the unified world, which is what he's doing with his plan, is unifying everyone. Uh, that's what the, the self-help book is geared toward. So smart. So well, subtle, it, so smart. To your point about the action figures, uh, Silk Spectre and Man- Dr. Manhattan don't even enter into the picture. No. They're not there. He doesn't know... That may be the one thing that he actually didn't necessarily plan for is them coming back. Right. If you would like to support this podcast, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. at the People's Improv Theater Loft in New York. Come on by. We'll chat with you about Watchmen. You can check out the podcast at Watchmen Watch Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. Watchmen Watch 1 on Twitter. And Comic Book Club Live for this podcast and very many more. You can subscribe and comment on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Android, or the app of your choice. And remember, we tape this podcast. 35 minutes ago. Oh, Alan uh, just texted me and he said, I'll definitely be there next week. Hashtag pumpkin spice latte life. <laughs>